gentlemen, it is so great to be back with you. You know, in 1989, I was still living in the San Francisco Bay Area where I grew up. And one day I was heading over to a friend's house to watch the Bay Bridge World Series. It was the Major League Playoffs between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland Athletics. And I was late because I needed to stop to pick up some cash at the bank. And right then it hit an earthquake that the Bay Area would never forget. I remember I was walking to the driver's side of my car and I grabbed the door handle and I held on. And what I saw next was absolutely unforgettable. I was standing on a busy downtown street looking to the east and you could watch as a wave that looked like an ocean wave traveled through concrete, asphalt, and brick. The road and the buildings looked like they melted and liquefied as I watched a seismic wave travel through them. Metal in the buildings shrieked, glass windows exploded, inventory fell from shelves, cars were swerving as they drove down the street and the well-known Bay Bridge crumbled. We were all a little bit in shock that day, and those of you who are old enough to remember this game remember the blackout during this event. This event was for sure unsettling. But what was just as alarming were the continued aftershocks from this initial event. I remember for weeks feeling aftershocks that caused damage as well. Some were big, some were small, as it continued to rock California from Santa Cruz all the way up to San Francisco for many, many weeks. You know, this event describes how I think about the impact of sin today. There's an initial shock Absolutely. And it's sudden and it's devastating. But there are also the aftershocks that have a slow and lasting impact on our lives and others. And it leaves us emotionally, mentally, and spiritually hurt and wounded. Now, in our previous sessions, we've talked about the tactics of temptation, wrongful desires, and how to redirect our desires. This week, we look at the aftershocks of our sin in our lives and others. And to do this, we're going to look at one of the most infamous sins in the entire Bible, King David's sexual sin with Bathsheba. So our goal today is to understand the aftershocks of sin with the outcome of hopefully avoiding the consequences and the pain of sin in our own life. But before we begin, would you join me in just a short prayer? God, help us to see the effects of our sin before we ever act sinfully. And may we know the victory that you have over all sin. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You know, perhaps one of the most well-known sins in the entire Bible is the sexual sin of David, right? <laughs> Many of us know David was one of Israel's greatest leaders and most famous heroes, by the way. But this particular battle was not one he fought very heroically. I'm going to read to you today the very short story of his sin and then discover what we can learn from the aftershocks of this event in his life. The story is actually relatively straightforward and short, and it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It reads, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. 
It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and once said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from the uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house. You know, this sin resulted in catastrophic aftershocks in David's life. In fact, David's life was marked by so many like good and notable moments that this moment stands out in stark contrast to all the others. And because his sin is on display for, <laughs> well, all to see, we can learn a lot from this transgression in his life. And today, rather than looking deeply at what led to David's sin, I want to look at what resulted from this sin. The reason being is that men rarely play for the tapes of sin. Sin leads men to seek immediate gratification without assessing, right? Without assessing. <laughs> the unseen consequences and aftershock of this disobedience. So today we're going to look at four aftershocks of David's sin. First, the aftershock of secrecy. The aftershock of secrecy. Here's how verse 5 reads. It's a verse immediately following the text we read. And it says this, And Bathsheba conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Now, sin is enticing because of the payoff it promises, right? We pursue it for the payoff without thinking about the consequences. And this situation is pregnant with consequences that David did not conceive. <laughs> What's interesting about sin is the double high it offers, right? I call this the sinner's high. First is the high that comes from getting something we want, even though it's wrong. And second is the high that comes from the attempt of not getting caught. And we've all experienced the rush that comes from the sinner's high. That is, until sin is conceived. And at this moment, he's exposed. David has a choice. He can either be exposed or live in secrecy. And instead of embracing the consequences and coming clean and exposing himself, David doubles down on the sinner's high, he, he tries to keep his sin a secret. At the moment any sin is exposed in a man's life, we have a huge opportunity, right? The opportunity to embrace our sin, our selfishness, exposure, and tenderly move through the aftershock of the initial event. The absolute worst thing we can do is duck, cover, and hide, which is precisely what David does. Instead of facing his sin, he tries to bury the secret. Here's what he does. His first plan, to bring Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back from the war and urge that he go in and have sex with his wife. And given the power and position of David, he thought this simple plan would actually work. Uriah, one of David's 30 most elite warriors, was too honorable, though, to have sex with his wife while the country was, was at war. Thus, David's initial plan to hide his sin fails. And instead of coming clean at this point, David takes it up a notch. He doubles down again. His next plan is to remove Uriah from the equation permanently. He devises a plan to have him killed. David 
premeditates the deliberate harm of Uriah by having troops abandon him at the heat of battle. And so Uriah is actually killed. But while Uriah is dead and buried, we will soon discover the secret is not. The aftershock of secrecy is tempting to every man. We fail to recognize that there's no hiding from sin or God. When we hide and conceal and deny and run from the issues, nothing good ever happens. This is true from the very first sin in the Bible to the very last. The best thing we can do when we experience this aftershock is to take responsibility for what we've done. To own it. Confess it. Make it public. Work through it. And seek godly counsel as we do. Secrecy simply delays the exposure and increases the intensity of the aftershock from the initial event. Second, the aftershock of suffering. The aftershock of suffering. You know, Psalm 51 is known to be David's confession after, well, being confronted by Nathan the prophet about a sin. <laughs> and here is perhaps one of the most well-known sentences from the psalm. It reads, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Psalm 51, verse 10. You know, this chapter is a beautiful and wonderful look at the heart of David. And God can and will create a clean heart and a new spirit within each one of us after a grievous sin. But this does not mean we will not experience human consequences when it comes to sin. In fact, our sin creates suffering not only for us, but for others. This is what makes sin so hideous. It has aftershocks of suffering that impact innocent people. And it seems unreasonable, unreasonable, but this sin has extensive waves of impact in the life of many people. First, Bathsheba who David made an adulterer. Second, Uriah, who David betrayed and killed. Third, Bathsheba and Uriah's family lineage that ended with murder by David. Fourth, Joab, one of David's commanders, was included in the deliberate plan to have Uriah murdered in the front line of battle. And there were many more affected by David's abuse of power, sexual sin, and premeditated murder. But we cannot forget there were coming shockwaves of suffering that God would also predict. Here's the message that God delivers to David through the prophet Nathan. It's one of the most famous confrontations in the entire Bible, and it appears in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Here's what Nathan says. Now, therefore... The sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and I will give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. You know, there are three significant aftershocks predicted. Suffering of his family, suffering of his wives made public, by the way, and suffering 
from death to the child of David and Bathsheba. And all this came to be, by the way, it did. David, from this point forward, experiences nothing but affliction in his home. Tamar, David's daughter, is raped by David's son, Ammon. Absalom, one of David's other sons, murders Ammon for raping his sister, Tamar. Absalom then endeavors to take the throne of King David. He chases David off from Jerusalem, occupies Jerusalem, and declares himself king in Jerusalem. Then Absalom has sex with David's concubines on the rooftop before all the kingdom. And then finally, David takes Absalom's life, his own son. All these ripples of suffering from one sin. You know, there are men listening today who know this aftershock, the aftershock of suffering. And it's not just us that suffers, it's those around us. And they're often innocent to our sin. And this is the insidious nature of sin that we fail to see. We need to remember that sin never only affects us. It has aftershocks in the lives of people around us who suffer by our hand when we choose to sin. This is why God warns against it. He wants the best for us and for others. Third, the aftershock of vengeance. The aftershock of vengeance. You know, listen to these words from 2 Samuel chapter 16. This is the moment that David's son Absalom is attempting to take Israel from his father David. Here's what it says. Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. You know what makes this moment interesting? It's the man Ahithophel. He was a longtime trusted advisor to David, but now he has turned against him. And why does he do this? Well, you have to know who Ahithophel was. He was grandfather to a woman named Bathsheba. Yes, that Bathsheba, the one who David had adulterized, the one who plotted the murder of his grandson Uriah. Now, who knows exactly what Ahithophel was thinking at this moment, but let me ask you, what would you be thinking? Suppose you had the opportunity to advise Absalom against King David. <laughs> Would you not be thinking to yourself, here's my opportunity to destroy his family? Would you think to yourself, let's give David a little taste of his own medicine on the same rooftop where he looked down on my granddaughter? You know, fellas, we never estimate or weigh the sinful aftershocks of our sin. We don't ever consider that even though God may forgive us, other people won't and actually might act out in vengeance toward us, which is what happens here. Ahithophel's allegiance to David is gone, and sin results in another aftershock in David's life, vengeance, which ultimately leads to the murder of his son. Now, I know this is a little bit of a gloomy thought, but vengeance is a real aftershock. While God may be gracious to us in repentance, other people sometimes won't. In fact, other people might do exactly the opposite. They will cancel us. They will hurt us. They will even seek to destroy us. And this aftershock has ripples in our life that may last for a very long time. Fourth, 
the aftershock of redemption. The aftershock of redemption. You know, let's remember that there is a final aftershock. It's the wave of Christ's life, death, and resurrection on the transgression of human sin, right? I want to read for you today from Isaiah chapter 53. Here's how it reads. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's good news right there, fellas, (laughs) that in Christ, the aftershocks of our transgressions against God are not held against us. We discover a God who wants to redeem us from the shock of our sin and the spiritual aftershocks of sin. Jesus' suffering was for us, and his resurrection gives us victory over transgressions that would keep us from a saving relationship with God. In fact, Jesus came from the lineage of King David. David did have another son, with Bathsheba, by the way, his name, Solomon. And from this line came the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Gentlemen, today I want you to consider the aftershocks of your sin. One way to avert sin in the future is to understand sin's destructive path. This is what we don't consider when walking the way of sin, but we should. If we even took a brief moment to pause and delay that sinful gratification to consider the aftershock of that next act, we might avert a lot of unnecessary pain in our life. I know many wonderful men who today would testify to this, men who wish they wouldn't have taken that last drink and gotten a car, men who wish they would have never emotionally engaged with a woman, which led to an affair, men who wish... They wouldn't have tried to cheat the system and thus spent years in prison. So here's your call to action this week. The next time you become lustful this week, I want you to stop. Before you respond to the lust, whatever it might be, just stop. Then consider before you act what the aftershock of acting on that lust would be to you and others and God. I want you to do this because often we never pause long enough to consider the aftershock. And fellas, if you're ever going to get better at battling repetitive sin, you have to slow down your response to promptings of sin so that you can halt the effects and the aftershocks. Listen to these words. They're actually from the Puritan John Newton who once said, many are convinced to believe in God who are not truly enlightened. They are afraid of the consequences of sin, though they never saw its evil. They have a seeming desire of salvation, which is not founded upon a truly spiritual discovery of their own wretchedness and the excellency of Jesus. I love those words. You know, guys, if you need some guidance this week, there are some reflection and discussion questions in your handbooks that will help. I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, be, live, and act resolutely.